We are live. We want to welcome everybody that's joined us and those of you that are here in the building, those of you that will get this podcast somewhere. Uh, I told them Sunday we was uh, looking for our 500th subscriber uh, and we didn't realize my son wasn't subscribed. I said, hey, your own dad's up here talking. And uh, if you... <laughs> What did Jesus say? He said it wasn't my enemies, it's those of my own household. <laughs> uh, his own brothers wouldn't get on board. So, uh, but if you subscribe, and those of you that are watching, uh, we're not looking for accolades. It just helps keep our message up there. The more people we have, subscribe. If you believe in what we're teaching and preaching here, and uh, keeps it up in front of people. Uh, also, you'll notice uh, we're rearranging a little bit in here. We're going to start expanding our ministries. God's blessed us with the buildings here, so we want to expand our... We're going to put some more folks to work. We're going to do some things in some different locations. We're going to do some stuff here uh, in our building differently on Sundays and Wednesdays, a little bit different. And then uh, we're going to start expanding our ministries out into the community and get more involved in stuff. The Lord's blessed us to get the facilities we need. So we've also got... Some folks uh, that need to be baptized. We've baptized a lot of folks in the last two and a half years that have come to Christ. Now, we're getting ready to have another baptism in the satellite. And we are, we're getting them out of the, the drug culture down there. They're getting saved. So we ought to give God praise for that. We've had uh, the court system and everybody should be thanking us. Getting them off the taxpayer's dime and... <laughs> So the Lord's doing the work down there. I think we, uh, we've been seeing God do that too. So we got some stuff. We're going to be, we're going to start putting some of y'all to work and uh, going to get a little more aggressive with ministry and doing some things to meet specific needs, okay? So that uh, we're going to find out what, what God's burdening you for. I know some of you have a heart to win the lost and some of you may have a heart to do different things. So we're going to Start making room for all that and get more and expand our borders. So uh, we'll be talking to you about that uh, here. And this this Sunday, you'll probably see something going on different back there in that corner as we prepare for Sunday. And we'll we're going to talk to you about that as we move forward. So let's pray and let's uh, we're going to go to the book of Job or Job, however you want to say that. I was getting ready to teach on the book of Job a few years ago, and some of them thought it was Job, and they didn't want to work, so they didn't come to church. No, no, just kidding. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you for all your kindness and your long-suffering, and uh, thank you for forgiving us of our sins. All of us needed forgiveness, and we know you're ready to forgive us uh, any moment, Lord. So we just pray that... As we get in your word tonight, Lord, it will minister to us. Your word will change us. It will draw us closer to you and that we'll be more like you when we leave here. In Jesus' name. And everybody said. So let's go to Job chapter 13. And uh, I was reminded we got some folks with us tonight from Florida. And we've had some other folks. Years ago I had a guy come from Florida and I asked him where he was from. He said, I'm gave me his name, said, I'm from the Sunshine State. And I said, told him my name. I said, I'm Matthew from Kentucky, the Moonshine State. Right. <laughs> so, we're noted for different things, right? <laughs> one's the Sunshine State, one's the Moonshine State. I actually grew up in a holler 
Most of you know that. I used to be a coal miner and I grew up in a holler. And uh, there was a couple of guys in there that did that in, my, in the holler. So uh, one of them really, he got saved though, came to Christ, tore his steel down and uh, he uh, became a believer. So he was, uh, the Lord works in mysterious ways. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Job chapter 13. <clears throat> let's look in verse uh, 22, verse 22. It says, uh, Job's responding to the guys who are coming against him. But a lot of good stuff we learn about. We, they speak highly of God, but they're misjudging Job, right? And then Job's giving us some information that we can all relate to here. Verse 22 of chapter 13 says, Then, then call and I will answer, or let me speak. When, then you respond to me. He's talking to God. He says, how many are, are my iniquities and sins? Make me know my transgressions and my sin. Why do you hide your face and regard me as your enemy? When we live in sin, we feel that estrangement from God. Now Job's battling in a different situation here, but he's given us good information. If I live in sin, uh, if I live my life in sin and don't live my life under the Lord, then I'm going to be estranged from God. Now, I think I shared this lately, but this really keeps coming up a lot. When, when Jesus took our place on the cross, He came, was the Son of God, was born of a virgin. The Holy Spirit put the seed of God in Mary. She had delivered Jesus. When He came into this life, God sent His only begotten Son to walk in the flesh to live like we have to live. He, he, he took on flesh and walked in our shoes. Now, the difference between Jesus and every other human is that Jesus never sinned one time. He didn't do wrong one time. Now, that can't be said of anybody else except Jesus, right? He, he did not do any sin. I've sinned. I still sin from time to time. One of the tragedies that happened in our churches years ago, and it, it was a little bit in all denominations, but some denominations were worse about this than others, is when people got, came to Christ, gave their lives to Christ, repented and were born again or saved or however you want to say that, they, a lot of times they left feeling like they had to be perfect. And, and the people that were praying for them neglected to tell them that they weren't perfect either, you know. Well, we made people feel like they had to be perfect, and, and, but we weren't even perfect, right? The ones that were praying for them. And, and so Jesus was perfect. He did no wrong. He hung on the cross. You and I should have hung on that cross for our sin, but He took our sin on Him, and He was our substitute, right? He died for us. Right Now, because of that, if I believe in Jesus Christ and put my trust in Him and accept His forgiveness for my sin, then I have eternal life. I, I'm born again, saved. I, that's what makes me right with God, is that I believe that His Son died in my place, took my sins, and that I believe that He had no sin. He rose from the dead. I put my trust in Him. That's what makes me saved, right? When Jesus was on that cross, He felt at a moment on that cross, He felt that separation of what sin causes. Because Jesus had no sin, 
He didn't, he didn't feel until all of our sin was laid upon him, as Paul talks about. Then he felt, and that's a horrible place to be. When you're separated from God, when you don't have peace with God. Now, we use, we use a word around here, and it's an Old Testament word. It is shalom. And I just told you about that the other day. It's, if I use the word shalom to you, and one of the brothers called me on it. He said shalom to me last week, and I didn't say it back. What about what a wonderful teacher I am. <laughs> and uh, you remember I said, if, if I say shalom to you, then I'm saying to you, if I say shalom to Rob here on the front row, and I, I'm saying to Rob, I'm good, everything's good between me and God, and everything's good between me and you, Rob. If Rob says shalom back, he's basically saying the same thing, right? I'm good with God, and you and I are good, Matthew. Just with that simple word, it says a lot, right? And so if I say, if Rob comes to me and says shalom to me, and I say, well, how's it going? Then, then Rob automatically could identify that maybe there's, I'm not good with God or he and I are not good. And so he can maybe step into that moment, right? So it's a wonderful word to use. But the, the depth of this word means the cessation of againstness. In other words, when I'm at peace with God is when I believe and take Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's when that cessation of againstness happens in my life. In other words, God's against me while I'm in my sin because God can't do any wrong. Sin is appalling to God. Sin destroys. And so God is against sin. So if I live in sin... I'm automatically, God's against me, right? Now, what happens when I accept His Son as my covering, as my Savior, then that againstness ceases, and now God is on my side. All I have to do to have God on my side is to believe on His Son. The, while we're sinners, the Bible says we are enemies of the Lord. We're enemies of the cross. And so God died for us. Why? Everybody in this building was a sinner. You may still be a sinner tonight, but you can do something about that before you leave. Right? You can ask Jesus to forgive you to come into your heart. I was a sinner. I had to be born again. I, did, I wasn't born a Christian. None of us were. Nobody's born right with God. We're all born into sin. And so as we come to the accountability, right, then we... Once we come to accountability, then we have to make a decision. We realize the difference between right and wrong. And so now I'm called in to make a decision, right? You got a dollar bill? Or a five dollar bill? I'll take a hundred, whatever you got. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Shalom. Shalom. <laughs> He's making sure we're good for he gave me that. <laughs> So now, when I've got some grandchildren now, because that's what happens when you get gray hair or it turns loose. You, you that have. So, uh, can you follow me if I get down here? Okay, all right. <clears throat> now, if I, my little two-year-old granddaughter, uh, if I drop this dollar, or anybody that's a two-year-old, and they, if they come and pick that up and take it. That's not stealing. They don't know, right? They don't have that understanding yet. 
But all of you, it looks like everybody in here is uh, of age of accountability. If you see me drop that dollar bill that belongs to Rob, (laughs) if you see me drop that dollar bill and you pick it up and don't return it to me and you know it's mine, that's wrong, right? So when you come to the age of accountability, you realize that this dollar belongs to me slash Rob and that if you saw me drop it, now I'm not talking about you walk in a field and there lays a $50 bill and you don't know who it belongs to, then you just got blessed, right? I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying you see somebody drop that, you know that that belongs to me and you pick it up, you know that that's wrong to keep it. But a two-year-old or a three-year-old, they don't know what's wrong. They don't, this don't have any value to them. They may eat it, flush it down the toilet, tear it in two, throw it in the trash, whatever. You've come to the age of accountability, though, when you know that this don't belong to you and it belongs to somebody else. You see what I'm saying? So once that happens, shalom, Rob. Once that happens, you need to make a decision. Are you going to live your life doing right? Are you going to live your life doing wrong? And the only way you can have a life of the shalom, the cessation of againstness, is to settle your eternal destiny with Jesus. Jesus Christ. He died, had no sin, and the reason He died was to take away our sin. So now, uh, I'm going to have to walk around a little bit tonight, it looks like. People will get the... I should keep this in the pulpit. So now when, when you're born again, when you're saved, when you ask Jesus to forgive you and to come into your life and you make Him your Lord and Savior, what Jesus does, according to Romans, is He imputes you some righteousness. So here I am. This fist is me as a sinner. I realize the difference between right and wrong. Now I'm confronted with that decision. Now, it don't mean you make it automatically because we've got people in this church from every walk of life and every age. Some people got saved when they were young children. Maybe they were raised in an environment that really promoted Christ. Some people got saved when they were teenagers. Some people got saved when they were young adults. Some people in this church got saved when they were retired because they were running, right? So whenever you and I surrender and ask Jesus to forgive us and to be our Savior then He imputes righteousness to us, right? So now, what happens to Matthew, me, when I get saved, I get clothed in the righteousness of Christ. All right? Not my righteousness, but His. He clothes me. It's as if all the cessation of againstness is gone. I'm right with God. I'm clean. I have a new new life. Now, I'm going to start a journey. As a Christian, I'm going to walk with Jesus. And as I walk this journey, I get clothed in righteousness. As I walk this journey, this same righteousness that God clothes me with, He starts imparting into my life. Paul talks about all that in Romans. He talks about imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness. Righteousness that's credited to my account because I believed. Right? Now that same righteousness, this is what we call Growing in Christ, being disciple, this righteousness starts, God starts doing stuff in my life. He starts imparting His righteousness in my life. So I start seeing things 
from His perspective instead of mine. How much better off is the world if we look through Jesus' glasses instead of our own? Right? And so then, as I'm getting this righteousness imparted at the same time, I'm still clothed in that righteousness. And this is the work of the Lord in my life. So He wants you and I to surrender our lives once we realize right and wrong. And maybe you've been running from that. It's time to own up to it. Hey, I need to give my life to Christ. I need to be a follower. I need to be born again. I need to repent of my sin. And repent means to simply turn and go the other direction, right? When we're living our own lives our own way, we're going this way. When we come to Christ, we turn and start following Him going that way. That's what Jesus wants from everybody. God said it's not His will that any would perish, but that all would come unto repentance. Every one of us. I don't want to, anybody I've met in my life, I don't want to go to heaven without any of them. I want to share the love of God. I want you to know who Christ is. So he says, uh, he says, How many are my iniquities sin? Make me know my transgression and my sin. Why do you hide your face? Verse 25 says, Will you frighten a leaf driven to and fro? Will you pursue dry stubble? For you write bitter things against me. And make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. You put my feet in stocks and watch closely all my paths. You set a limit for the soles of my feet. Man decays like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. So Job's in a big battle. He's, he belongs to God, but he's fighting the battle. He's got a lot of people around him telling him things. And he's trying to walk his way through this moment of tragedy in his life. Let's look at verse 1 and 2 of the next chapter. Man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Now who can say yes to that? Life's got a lot of trouble in it, don't it? It really does. And you and I are not going to make it on our own. Look at this next verse. He comes forth like a flower, fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. Hold your spot there and go with me to James chapter 4. Let's see what the New Testament says in the same line of reasoning here. Or This is the work of the Holy Spirit, both Testaments. Let's see what the Holy Spirit says in chapter 4, verse 14. Let's back up to 13 because these are people who make big plans, right? How many of us make big plans? Well, here's a sobering thought for us who make big plans. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And then he corrects them. He said, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. So it's being presumptuous that he's trying to get us to guard against. None of us have the promise of tomorrow. How many of you, just by the raising of your hand, could have died at some point in your life? Something was going on where you could have passed away. Yeah. I, me too. Mine was last October, right? You all, all know about mine. Collapsing in Texas with open heart surgery. 
Everybody, most people in this building raised your hand because you, you had a moment where you could have either lived or died. So none of us have the promise tomorrow. God don't guarantee that to any of us. And we have found out, I've found out I'm closer to 60 than any other 10-year denomination now. Some of you, don't look at me like some of you done run past 60 flying. <laughs> but life really is a vapor, isn't it? I mean, you, you, to me, when you're growing up and you're look, trying to get 16 so you can drive, it seems like it takes forever. Am I right, Josiah? <laughs> I'm looking at Josiah. He's headed towards 16. But man, when you get out of high school, it's like being shot out of a cannon, ain't it? I'm looking at a 40-year high school reunion right around the corner. I ain't that old. <laughs> but I am. And so it really is like a vapor. Right? Think about it. You were 16. And then you were 26. Then you were 46. Then you're 66. So if this life's a vapor, and what's really at stake is eternity... Everybody in this room and everybody that's around the world that's listening to me tonight and anybody that gets this podcast, every one of us are going to live forever. It's just a matter of where you're going to spend it. Now, you're going to spend, I think, life expectancies in the high 70s. People outlive that. Uh... Some people don't make it there. I have buried, I've been in the ministry for 30, almost 40 years. And I have buried people from zero, just a few-day-old baby, all the way to 99 and everywhere in between. I've buried teenagers, children, middle-aged. None of us have the promise of tomorrow. But you and I are both going to live forever. It's just a matter of where you're going to check in at. Are you going to heaven? Or are you going to go to hell? There are two places to go. And you're going to spend the majority, overwhelming majority of your existence in either heaven or hell. This life is going to be a speck compared to where you're going to live forever. So now the question is, where are you going to check in at, Right? Because our life really is a vapor, and that's what Job's saying here. And back to Job, he comes like a flower, fades away, flees the shadow, and does not continue. And do you open your eyes on such a one and bring me into judgment with yourself? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Nobody except God. You can't be right on your own. Job's right about this. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? No one. The only one that can take unrighteousness or sin, let all of us have... And make it right is the Lord. And He does that through His Son, Jesus Christ, by making Him our Savior. Offering us eternal life if we embrace Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's how we can make an unclean thing clean. Only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Only by us coming to Him and repenting and asking for His forgiveness. Since his days are determined, the number of months is with you. You have appointed his limits so he cannot pass. And that's true. 
Every one of us have an appointment with death. Every one of us. We're all going to die someday. The only exception to that is the rapture. And we're not going to get into all that because I'll get chasing rabbits if I do that. And that, Some of you heard me tell this before. Uh, there's a guy uh, in a community in Chicago and he's standing on his porch and a limousine pulls into the house next door and death gets out of the limousine. And the guy on the porch looks over and says, who are you looking for? And he says, I'm looking for the guy, your neighbor that lives here. And he said, oh, he heard you were coming and he, moved, he went to New York. And then death started to get back into the limousine. The guy on the porch said, where are you going? And he said, I'm going to New York. He's got an appointment with me and he's going to keep it. You ain't got no... When death comes, it's, it's our turn. When our number's called. So what, what can you do about it? That's a dilemma. Think about it. When you're born into sin... Hell's our destiny. That's the biggest dilemma any of us are ever going to face. What are you going to do about it? Well, God said, I've sent my son. All you have to do is repent and turn to him. Make him your savior. That'll change the whole course of everything. It's really that simple. To believe on Jesus Christ. And Job is saying here, who can make a clean thing clean? An unclean thing clean? No one, but the Lord, only the Lord can do that. Since his days are to tumble, the number of his months with you, you've pointed cannot pass. He set the boundaries up. He set our boundaries up. Look away from him that he may rest till like a hired man he finishes his day. For there is hope for a tree. If it cut down, it will sprout again. And the tender shoots will not cease, though its root may grow old in the earth and the stump may die in the ground. Yet at the sin of water it will bud, bring forth branches like a plant. God made everything to reproduce. That's why when you see the world getting into these areas where things can't reproduce, it ain't God. God made everything to reproduce because it has life. And whatever gets out of that boundary and gets into a realm where it can't reproduce, that ain't God. That's Satan. But man dies and and is laid away. Indeed, he breathes his last breath. Where is he? As water disappears from the sea, a river becomes parched and dries up. So man lies down and does not rise till the heavens are no more. They will not awake nor be roused from their sleep. Oh, that you would hide me in the grave. Job's having such a hard time. He says he wishes he could go on. That you would conceal me until your wrath is past. That you would appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man dies, he's going to give us a question here. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change comes. Now these guys aren't dummies. They know there's going to be a resurrection. They know there's an eternal life. And this was before Moses wrote anything. You shall call and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands. See that? Job is reminding himself. Job's battling, but what's he reminding himself? He's reminding himself that God's not going to leave him. He's reminding himself that there's going to be a resurrection. He's reminding himself there's an eternity. And sometimes, folks, sometimes, and I say this to everybody under the sound of my voice, sometimes that's the only thing that will encourage you. Sometimes this world stinks. Sometimes it ain't worth nothing. Sometimes it's all curveballs that the pitcher's throwing. And sometimes he hits you right in the side of the head with the pitch. That's Satan, of course. Sometimes nothing looks good. Sometimes 
nothing feels good. And the only thing you will be able to encourage yourself with, like Job, is to say, I am remembering that I've got a heaven to go to. I've got a home. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm coming back after you. And sometimes that's what we need to remind ourselves when everything's going bad or backwards. That we have a heaven waiting on us. We have a Savior whom we call our groom coming back for us. And we will triumph with Him and we will live forever in heaven. And that, my friends, is good enough to give praise God for. Amen. He says, uh, he says, for you number my steps, but do not watch over my sin. My transgression is sealed up in a bag, and you cover my iniquity. Let me tell you what salvation is like. Salvation is like coming here with all your junk, and God taking it, and throwing it as far as the east is from the west. None of your sins to be remembered anymore. Amen? Covered, sealed off, gone. I've had, you know what, in my office as a pastor for the last 30 some years, I've heard everything twice. I've been to two county fairs and three hog collins. I've heard it all. And you, I'm telling you, I've heard stuff that'll make your ears fall off. But when I have somebody come in my office and say, Preacher, I've done bad. I've been really bad. I don't even want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. I've just been so bad. And I've asked the Lord to forgive me, but I've been so bad. And they say, what's the Lord going to say to me when I go, back, go to heaven someday and I've been this bad? Even though I've been saved, I'm going to say, He's going to say, I don't know what you're talking about. Because I've forgiven you and cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. What's better than becoming a Christian? Where all that stuff gets offloaded on you. You don't have to pack it around anymore. You don't have to worry about the Lord has got you covered. That's the good news of the gospel. If you're, You've heard people say, translate the gospel, right? And most of them are shallow. They just call it good news. That's the shallow way of saying it. Eugelion is the word that we translate gospel in the, New, in the New Testament. And it means good news with a reward. And what is your reward? To live forever in heaven with your Savior, Jesus Christ. What? That is the greatest reward we can have. Amen. So I got good news for you with a reward. What did the Bible say in Hebrews? God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And He says, uh, He says, uh, you, He says, you sent, He says, you cover my iniquity, but as the mountain falls and crumbles away, and the rock is moved from its place, as water wears away stones, as the torrents wash away the soul of the earth, so you destroy the hope of man. You prevail forever against him and pass his own. You change his countenance, you send him away. His sons come to honor, and he does not know it. He's talking about death, right? Death is horrible. I've been around death a lot because that's part of my job. I've seen people die from every... I've rolled up on wrecks, people dead. My family and I were coming back. I had me in Chicago. We got out of the hotel that morning. We pulled around to come out of Chicago. 
and the street was roped off with caution tape because the body was laying. Somebody had jumped from 60-some stories up that morning right before we turned the curve. We turned the radio on. It was a priest had jumped from 60-some stories and killed himself. Death stinks from every direction. I don't like it. But the reason death came into the human race is because Adam and Eve sinned. I really think that sin is way worse than what we think about it. Now we've watered it down. If you watch some of these politicians and stuff in our culture, when they lie, they don't call it a lie. They say, I misspoke. You lied. You lie. We don't, we've watered this stuff down over the years to where it don't have as big of an edge on it. But sin has destroyed humans. It's destroying them. The wages of sin is death. Now, God gave us an opportunity to overcome that through His Son, Jesus Christ. But He's talking about how bad death is, right? I would love to live and see my fourth and fifth generation. Wouldn't that be awesome? That ain't going to happen. You're, you're very fortunate if you see that third one. And maybe the fourth one. You'd be very fortunate. We don't get to see, be fun, wouldn't it? be great. But death has interrupted all that stuff. Death has creeped in. But there's a way out. There's a way to live forever in heaven with Christ. He said his son's coming, but he don't know it. They brought low and he does not perceive it. But his flesh will be in pain over it and his soul will mourn over it. Job's through talking. Let me read a little bit of Eliphaz before we quit. Then Eliphaz, the termite, or the Temanite, I'm sorry, answered and said, <laughs> answered and said he's eating away at Job. He ought to be a termite. He says, uh, should a wise man answer with empty knowledge and fill himself with the east wind? Should, uh, should he reason? Should he reason? <clears throat> should he reason with unprofitable talk or speeches with which he can do no good? Yes, you cast off fear and restraint, prayer, uh, prayer before God, for your iniquity teaches your mouth. So, thank you, brother. Job is not doing all these things he's getting accused of, but what these guys are teaching us is that these things would cause us trouble. So if you cast off fear and restrain prayer before God, then that, would, that wouldn't be good. Don't get in a place where you walk out on God. That's the greatest help any of us have. You cannot walk away from God. If we abandon His truth, nothing else can help us. Nothing else is eternal. You can love your mama, but your mama don't hang on no cross for you. You can love your father, but your father didn't hang on no cross for you. You can love your best friend, but your best friend didn't die for your sins. You better make Jesus first in your life. He's the only one that can cross you over when it's your time or my time to die 
The only one that will be able to carry you over to the other side is Jesus Christ. Your mama can't do it. Your daddy can't do it. Your brother can't do it. Your sister can't do it. Your best friend can't do it. And those 8 million friends you've got on Facebook, which is a lie, they can't do it. <laughs> you don't have no 8 million friends. I love telling people that. They come in and say, I got 400 friends. On. I said, you don't got 400 friends. A friend somebody you can count on. Somebody will be there when the chips are down. Somebody that will stand up for you. Somebody will be there when you blow it to help you get up. That's a friend. And there's no greater friend that you'll ever have than Jesus Christ. He'll be there when everybody else is gone. The Bible says in Psalm 27, but when your father and mother forsake you. And we have a lot of that in this culture now. Children are at risk from day one. If they make it out of the womb, that's the hard part right there. The devil has such an assault on our children, he likes to kill them in the womb if he can. And then if they get out of the womb, so many of them are in horrible situations. But Psalm 27 says, if, the, if father and mother forsake you, then the Lord will take you in. I, have, I love my family. But the one I love the most is Jesus Christ. Because the family I have came from Him. The Bible says every good and perfect gift that we get has come from God. We don't do this stuff on our own. And if you're here tonight and you're not walking with God, it's His mercy that's let you live this long. Until you make that decision. Because if the devil had his way, he'd already killed you and drug you to hell. But God's having mercy. He's had mercy on all of us. Everybody in this building that knows Jesus Christ has got a testimony of how maybe you ran from the Lord or how you put Him off and He just kept coming and being merciful and kind to you. That, my friend, is the friend above all friends. The one that loves us while we're yet sinners. He said, um, he said, he, he says, Eliphaz, should a wise man answer with empty knowledge? You've cast off fear. Your own mouth condemns you and not I. Yes, your own lips testify against you. Are you the first man who was born or were you made before the hills? Now he's going after Job pretty hard. Have you heard the counsel of God? Do you limit wisdom to yourself? What do you know that we do not know? Nobody knows anything. <laughs> That's the problem. What do you understand that is not in us? Both gray-haired and the aged are among us, much older than your father. Are the consolations of God too small for you? And the word spoken gently with you, why does your heart carry you away? And what do your eyes wink at? That you turn your spirit against God and let such words go out of your mouth. And it's not a good thing to turn on God. That's the worst thing you can do. And I've seen people do that. Get mad at God because he didn't do something the way they thought he should. But God's ways are not our ways. What is man that he could be pure? Or who is the born of a woman that he could be righteous? If God puts no trust in his saints and the heavens are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is abominable and filthy who drinks iniquity like water? That's a good statement. Because that's basically what Paul teaches in the New Testament. All our righteousness is filthy rags. There's none good, no, not one. How do we get out of that? We get out of that by coming to Jesus Christ. These guys are basically, he's saying the same thing. God, 
God, we, we've all went astray. There's none good, no, not one. He talks about how the heavens are not even pure in His sight. Why would the heavens not be pure? I'll tell you why. Because that's where Satan rebelled. That's, that's where the first rebellion took place. If you read Isaiah, Satan turned on God and he got cast out of heaven, the Bible says. Jesus tells us that in the New Testament. He said, I watched Satan fall like lightning. Now, I don't know about you, but when you get tossed like lightning, you're flying out of there. I don't know if Michael come over there and grabbed him by the seat of his robe and just said, threw him out. But he was gone in an instant. Now, if you go over in the book of Peter, he said there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, right? Not just a new earth, but a new heaven. Why? Because that old heaven was marred with sin. Satan said, I will be like the Most High. I will ascend to the throne, right? He wanted to take over God's place, and he got kicked out of heaven. So they're right. Their theology is good here. He says, the heavens are not pure. How much less man who's abominable? We're not pure. We have to have Christ in order to be right. I will tell you, hear me, what I have seen. I will declare what wise men have told. No hiding anything received from their fathers to whom alone the land was given and no alien passed among them. The wicked man reads with pain in all his days and the number of years is hidden from the oppressor. Dreadful sounds are in his ears and prosperity and destroyer comes upon him. He does not believe that he will return from darkness for a sword is waiting for him. He wanders about for bread, saying, Where is it? He knows that the day of darkness is ready at his hand. Trouble and anguish make him afraid. They overpower him like a king ready for battle. For he stretches out his hand against God and acts defiantly against the Almighty, running stubbornly against him with his strong embossed shield. Now we got a contrast here. We got people talking about those who are made right with God, and we got those who are not right with God. I read this not too long ago, but I'm going to read it again because you need to make uh, hear this in Psalm 73 before I close. In Psalm 73, I think everybody will be able to relate to this. In Psalm 73, this is a guy who's feeling bad because he looks outside and it looks like everybody's doing good but him. And especially those who are not following the Lord. Now, every one of us have felt that way, Right? We have watched things, we have watched things starting from years ago. People who are high profile people that we see get away with things in our culture. We've watched that. If you go all the way back to uh, the O.J. Simpson trial, people who get by with things that you and I both know, if it had been us, we'd have been under the jail. And that's frustrating. If you look at our culture, and you can look locally, maybe nationally, or even around the world, why in the world do some of these people who are so wicked seem to get by with stuff, right? <clears throat> well, eventually they don't. And let's read this because all of us have probably had that feeling. I'm serving God. I'm getting my brains beat up. And this guy over here don't give a hoot about God. It looks like everything's going his way. The embarrassment had that thought. You may not dwell on it. You may, be, may have overcome it, but you've probably thought that. How come... They can get by with that, and they don't even give a hoot about God, and they seem like nothing. That's where this guy's at. Think about that as we read this psalm. He says, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, listen to what he says here, As for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Right? Am I, are you with me? 
You look at some Hollywood nut that blasphemes God and everything seems to go his way. And here you are trying to love God and follow God and you, you get, you're having to battle. Right? Okay. Think about it. I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there was no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. That's what he's feeling, right? We've all probably been there. You've probably thought, man, I am battling, and these guys over here don't even give a hoot about God, and they seem to be doing fine. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. Their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore his people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, speaking of the wicked, how does God know? And there is, not, and there is, and there is knowledge in the Most High. Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Right? You see these people, you think. We, and because we have so much media now, you can see... All the people that are godless, that seem to be have, have life going for them, and they seem to be doing okay, and you're having to struggle and battle through all these and fight the enemy. And look what he says. He's feeling the weight of this, right? Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain. Wash my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. I'm having to fight like a dog every day, and this guy over here that don't give a hoot about God seems to be doing fine. If I said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Now, there was no Bible when this guy, he's writing the Bible. <laughs> there was a few things being put together, but there was no Bible like you and I have. When he said, I went to the sanctuary, that's where the Word of God was read, the Word that had been written down at that point. So he said, I went to the sanctuary where Moses and he was written, had written and it was read. So basically he's saying, I'm going back to the Word of God to remind myself of how things really are. And we have to do that. Because out there, the people who don't give a hoot about God Seem to be doing fine, but they're not going to wind up fine. Look what he says. He says, I went to the sanctuary and I understood their end. Surely you've put them in slippery places. You've cast them down into destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As dream when one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by your right hand. Who's the right hand? Jesus. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have, have I in heaven but you? There is none on earth but, uh, that I desire besides you. He's talking to God. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. So he remembered that living that way, they're going to be destroyed, and he's going to live forever with God. You've got to remind yourself of that. You all have heard me tell about the 17-year-old girl that came home from school, lived in Chicago, true story, would come home every day and go upstairs and lock herself in a room for 30 minutes. 
Her mom watched her do this for a couple of weeks and finally decided to confront her because she thought she was getting to something bad, maybe drugs, whatever. Her mom finally says, Honey, I've watched you come home every day and go upstairs and lock yourself away for 30 minutes and not speak to anybody. And her 17-year-old her girl was a Christian. She was a believer in Jesus. And she went to high school in Chicago every day. And she said, Mom, the reason I go upstairs every day is to read my Bible for 30 minutes. She said, because I, when I go to school every day at high school, she said, and I see all them acting the way they act, I begin to think that's normal. And she said, the reason I go upstairs and read my Bible every day is to remind myself that's not normal. This is normal. This is how it's going to wind up. It ain't going to wind up what they're teaching our teenagers and children that there's going to be a party in hell. There ain't going to be no party in hell. It's been canceled due to fire. The only party is going to be in heaven. So as adults, we can get inundated with all this garbage and look at people and think, well, why ain't they no justice there? Why ain't they no... Come back right here and remind yourself of how this thing ends. Let's bow our heads. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to receive Him. Will you come and speak to me after this service? I want to pray with you. And you can step into your moment tonight. Father, we thank You for Your love and mercy. I thank You for all those that are here tonight. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the work of Jesus Christ and what it means to all of us. Those of us who've believed and those of us who are yet to believe, we're so thankful that you hung on that tree. I should have hung on that tree. My sins, all the sins I've committed are what nailed, helped nail you to that tree. It wasn't just my sins. It was all of our sins. But my sins were a part of that, of helping nail you to that tree. And you willfully died in my place. And not only my place, but you died for the sins of the whole world. So that none of us would have to go to hell. That all of us could live forever with you. I love you Jesus. I proclaim you to this world. There's only one way out of here. And that's through you. And you have went to prepare a place for us. And you said you're coming back for us. And I believe just like Job. That you are going to come back for us. And I give you praise for that. And everybody said. Amen.